Chapter Thirty Eight of the Eyes of the World by Harold Bell Wright. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Thirty Eight: An Inevitable Conflict. When Aaron King set out to follow the tracks he had found at Granite Peak after his long, hard trip along the rugged crest of the Galenas, his weariness was forgotten. Eagerly, as if fresh and strong, but with careful eyes and every sense keenly alert, he went forward on the trail that he knew must lead to Sibyl Andres. He did not attempt to solve the problem of how the girl came there, nor did he pause to wonder about her companion. He did not even ask himself if Sibyl were living or dead. He thought of nothing, knew nothing, was conscious of nothing but the trail that led away into the depths of the mountain wilderness. Insensible to his own physical condition, without food, unacquainted with the wild country into which he was going, reckless of danger to himself, but with all possible care and caution for the sake of the girl he loved, he went on. Coming to the brink of the gorge in which the cabin was hidden, the trail following the rim soon led him to the ledge that lay across the face of the cliff at the head of the narrow canyon. A moment he paused to search the vicinity with careful eyes then started to cross. As he set foot upon the ledge, a voice at the other end called sharply, Stop! At the word, Aaron King halted. A moment passed. James Rutledge stepped from behind the rocks at the other end of the ledge. He was covering the artist with a rifle. In a flash the man on the trail understood. The automobile, the mirror signals from Fairlands, it was all explained by the presence and by the menacing attitude of the man who barred his way. The artist's hand moved toward the weapon that hung at his hip. "'Don't do that,' said the man with the rifle. "'I can't murder you in cold blood, but if you attempt to draw your gun, I'll fire.' The other stood still. James Rutledge spoke again, his voice hoarse with emotion. "'Listen to me, King. It's useless for me to deny what brought me here.' The trail you are following leads to Sibyl Andres. You had her all summer. I've got her now. If you hadn't stumbled onto the trail up there, I would have taken her out of the country, and you would never have seen her again. I might have killed you before you saw me, but I couldn't. I'm not that kind. Under the circumstances there is no possible compromise. I'll give you a fighting chance for your life and the girl. I'll take a fighting chance for my life and the girl. Throw your gun out of reach, and I'll leave mine here. We'll meet on the ledge there. James Rutledge was no coward. Mr. Taine also, it will be remembered, on the night of his death, boasted that he was game. Without an instant's hesitation, Aaron King unbuckled the belt that held his weapon, and turning, tossed it behind him with the gun still in its holster. At the other end of the ledge, James Rutledge set his rifle behind the rock. Deliberately the two men removed their coats and threw aside their hats. For a moment they stood eyeing each other. Into Aaron King's mind flashed the memory of that scene at the Fairlands depot, when moved by the distress of the woman with the disfigured face, he had first spoken to the man who faced him now. With startling vividness the incidents of their acquaintance came to him in a flash-like succession, the day that Rutledge had met Sybil in the studio the time of his visit to the camp in the sycamore grove, the night of the Taine banquet, a hundred things that had strengthened the feeling of antagonism which marked their first meeting. And through it all 
he seemed to hear Conrad Lagrange saying that in his story of life this character's name was sensual. The artist in that instant knew that this meeting was inevitable. It was only for a moment that the two men, who in their lives and characters represented forces so antagonistic, stood regarding each other, each knowing that the duel would be, must be, to the death. Deliberately they started toward the center of the ledge. Over their heads towered the great cliff. A thousand feet below were the tops of the trees and the bottom of the gorge. About them on every hand the silent, mighty hills watched, the wild and lonely wilderness waited. As they drew closer together they moved as wrestlers, warily, crouching, silent, alert. Stripped to their shirts and trousers they were both splendid physical types. James Rutledge was the heavier, but Aaron King made up for his lack in weight by a more clean-cut, muscular firmness. They grappled. As two primitive men in a savage age might have met, bare-handed they came together locked in each other's arms their limbs entwined with set faces tugging muscles straining sinews and taut nerves they struggled one moment they crushed against the rocky wall of the cliff the next and they swayed toward the edge of the ledge and hung over the dizzy precipice with pounding hearts laboring breath and clenched teeth they wrestled james rutledge's foot slipped on the rocky floor but with a desperate effort he regained his momentary loss aaron king worn by his days of anxiety, by his sleepless nights and by the long hours of toil over the mountains, without sufficient food or rest, felt his strength going. Slowly the weight and endurance of the heavier man told against him. James Rutledge felt it, and his eyes were beginning to blaze with savage triumph. They were breathing now with hoarse, sobbing gasps that told of the nearness of the finish. Slowly Aaron King weakened. Rutledge spurred to increase his effort, and exerting every ounce of his strength was bearing the other downward and back. At that instant the convict and Sybil Andres reached the cliff. With a cry of horror the girl stood as though turned to stone. Motionless, without a word, the convict watched the struggling men. With a sob the girl stretched forth her hands. In a low voice she called, "'Aaron! Aaron! Aaron!' The two men on the ledge heard nothing, saw nothing. Sybil spoke again, almost in a whisper, but her companion heard. "'Mr. Marston! Mr. Marston! It is Aaron King! I—I I love him! I love him!' Without taking his eyes from the struggling men, the convict answered, "'Pray, girl, pray, pray for me!' As he spoke he steadily raised his rifle to his shoulder. Aaron King went down upon one knee. Rutledge, his legs braced, his body inclined toward the edge of the precipice, was gathering his strength for the last triumphant effort. The convict, looking along his steady rifle-barrel, was saying again, "'Pray, pray for me, girl.' As the words left his lips, his finger pressed the trigger, and the quiet of the hills was broken by the sharp crack of the rifle. James Rutledge's hold upon the artist slipped. For a fraction of a second his form half-straightened, and he stood nearly erect. Then, as a weed cut by the sharp scythe of a mower falls, he fell, his body whirling downward toward the trees and rocks below. The sound of the crashing branches mingled with the reverberating report of the shot. On the ledge Aaron King lay still. The convict dropped his rifle and ran forward. Lifting the unconscious man in his arms, 
he carried him a little way down the mountain toward the cabin where he laid him gently on the ground. To Sybil, who hung over the artist in an agony of loving fear, he said hurriedly, "'He'll be all right presently, Miss Andres. I'll fetch his hat and coat.' Running back to the ledge, he caught up the dead man's rifle, coat, and hat, and threw them over the precipice as he swiftly crossed for the artist's things. Recovering his own rifle, he ran back to the girl. "'Listen, Miss Andres,' said the convict, speaking quickly. "'Mr. King will be all right in a few minutes. That rifle shot will likely bring his friends. If not, you are safe now, anyway. I dare not take chances. Good-bye.' From where she sat with the unconscious man's head in her lap, she looked at him wonderingly. "'Good-bye,' she repeated questioningly. Henry Marston smiled grimly. "'Certainly, good-bye. What else is there for me?' A moment later she saw him running swiftly down the mountainside like some hunted creature of the wilderness. End of chapter 38 Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com